Hello everyone, Madeline Dale here, and we are back with another guest today to chat about his work and everything else he's got going on that is exciting in the book world. Um, I'm Madeline Dell, your host, fantasy, paranormal, romance, mixed genre author. Um, you can check out my work on thechaptergoddess.com. But now I'm going to introduce you guys to our new guest. So guys, this is Alan. Alan, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your books. Yeah, good morning, Maddie. It's good to see you and it's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation to come in and talk about my book and my books and talk to you about uh, about writing and everything else we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm, a, uh, ac I'm an academic professor. I'm a biologist. I've been a biologist now for about 25 years. And uh, about 10 years ago, as my career was starting to, uh, in a way, sort of wind down, I started thinking about what I wanted to do um, for the final part, kind of the last few chapters, so to speak, of my career. And I wanted to write for the the lay audience, the non-scientific audience, because as all as we've all seen from COVID, there's a lot of misconception out there. There's a lot of misunderstanding of what science actually is. Uh, so I wanted to I wanted to write for the um, uh, non-scientific audience and um, kind of may you know maybe help them out with. Um, uh, a little bit better understanding of what science is and where science is going. So that's that's really how I got started in my writing career. I love that. And I love your concept about like reaching out to them and using stories to educate them about what is going on with science and what it is. And I've always thought that storytelling is the best way to get messages across to help people learn things. Because honestly, as an avid reader myself, picking things up through like stories and fiction over the years that is actually true has stuck with me versus trying to memorize it out of a book and study it and study it, it takes more time. Versus if you put it into a fun story, like the one you've got, it sticks better. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, the first book that I wrote, um, it's called Modern Poisons. And it's actually a nonfiction book relative to modern toxicology, because there's a number of things going on in toxicology. And toxicology is just the study of toxic chemicals. So chemicals that can cause adverse health impacts in humans. Uh, and uh, as I was writing that book, there, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, both in the non-science uh, community, but also in the scientific community. So I wanted to address some of those issues. And um, while doing that, I realized that, um, as you just said, I realized that even in my nonfiction book, doing it from a story perspective and putting it in the, into the uh, context that um, is fairly simple language that a non-scientist can understand is, is really, I, I think, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, and in fact, that kind of got me into the, the the writing of storytelling. And after that, I thought, well, since I'm kind of using that approach, I might as well write a, a fiction book as well, which is where my second book, Twist, came from. Yes. That is, and that's another thing I'm going to ask. How did you separate? Well, as, an, as a professor, I'm sure it was probably not too difficult to separate writing the fiction versus the nonfiction. Oh, my microphone. But did you have to kind of like switch gears to get your mind going for the fiction novel versus the nonfiction work? Oh, totally. It's, it's a it's a very different, very, very different 
uh, uh, process. Even though, as I was saying, you know, the the uh, my non my my fic my excuse me my nonfiction book Modern Poisons informed my fiction book, but the structure is really really different. And just real quickly, in in um, science writing, whether it's for you know uh, academics or whether it's for the general public, there's a lot of um, uh, what Randy Olson calls ands, you know, uh, information and more information and more information and more information, right? Just, and as scientists, we love to provide information. And if you wanted to sit down and talk to me about my science piece, um, you know, offline, you know, I would be happy just to give you information after information after information. That's not very good storytelling, though, right? In, in storytelling, you want to you want to generate a tension, whether it's a romantic tension or a uh, physical tension or a suspenseful tension. You want to develop tension, and then because that keeps the reader turning the page, and then you want to you want to prolong that tension as long as you can in your book until you hit the crescendo, and then the protagonist wins or dies or whatever the protagonist does, right? And and um, so it's a very, very different style of writing. Yes. Did you find yourself having a little more fun with the fiction stuff than the nonfiction stuff? Oh, it's really fun. And and we can we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, it's it's really, really fun. And it that gets to another question that you're gonna ask me. So I'll wait till that question comes up. But absolutely <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and switch gears and let's talk about your main character, Alex, if I remember mm -hmm. that Alex right. Underground? Yeah. Tell us a little yeah. bit about him and his backstory. Where did the inspiration for him come from? Well, his information, excuse me, his inspiration really came from me. It, Alex basically is a, um, is my alter ego or maybe just my, just me because um, he's a scientist. He's a uh, academic professor at Iowa State University. And the thing that I want, and part of the reason why I wanted to write about an, an academic professor is because it's what I know. I've been one for, like I said, 25 plus years. So I know the environment pretty well, very well. And it's also, it's also a, a, a uh, space that lay people don't know really much about like if 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 we were to if you were to ask a non-scientific person what's a doctor do people can tell you what a medical doctor does if, if you ask them what does a lawyer do they can tell you what a lawyer does but if you ask them what does a professional scientist do a lot of people don't really know they don't, they don't have a good idea of that so one thing i wanted to do in my fiction was introduce a scientist and then show how what his life is really like. And you know, uh, full disclosure, the, the, you know, a lot, much of what a scientist does is fairly boring. You know, I mean, we're we're sitting either in a lab conducting experiments over and over and over again, or we're in our office writing papers over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's fairly dull. And if, and of course, that's not that's not what the book is. But um, but but those those. Uh, kind of mundane day-to-day -day activities of being a scientist are always, are punctuated with discovery and even in sometimes adventure, right? And, uh, and, and fun and enjoyment and you have a lab group and the lab group has dynamics and, and, um, and, 
so, so that's kind of where Alex comes from. The other thing, and, and we may come, we may circle back to this again. I'm, I really like, and I, I and I guess I didn't know this until I started writing fiction, but I really like the, in a way, kind of like the anti-hero, or or the the stumbling, bumbling hero, kind of like Columbo in the old days of of detective work, right? Where you know you look at the guy and you think they're really not much of anything, but then he winds up surprising you and coming up with these amazing things, and and I really like that anti-hero kind of. Um, you know, he's not the swashbuckling, you know, Brad Pitt looking, you know, gorgeous male who, who everything always goes right for him. And it's not like that. It's, it's, he's just an average Joe who's stuck in circumstances that are be out of his control and he's doing the best that he can. And I, and I really, I really like that part about him as well. That's awesome. I actually have recently started trying to incorporate more characters like that because I have gotten kind of tired. I write in romance predominantly. It always finds its way into my story. But I'm like, I want to make more realistic people in my stories. So I've kind of started adding more like real looking people versus like having for, I'm going to use my urban fantasy stuff for like the fae and stuff they're always tall they're always muscular super attractive and stuff and i'm like you know what we're gonna bring in a story with an average guy who's built he's middle-aged he's got gray in his hair and he's a shifter he's got a pudgy and the woman's super curvy like making them more realistic than just the like super athletic build super attractive like they're not going to be attractive to all the people and it's just i like putting that real factor in there and it's kind of taking time to get there but I feel like readers are starting to look for more realistic people in stories that they can relate to. That's certainly what Alex is. Alex is exactly what you said. He's a middle-aged kind of pudgy guy, um, nondescript. His his office is in the sub basement. Um, his uh, out his outside of his door, he has a five by eight index card with his name in Sharpie. That's that, I mean, he doesn't have a glamorous office. His, his walls are cinder block. Um, he doesn't have any windows. Um, he, and, and he just lives this, this kind of modest life until, pardon me, but until all hell breaks loose, right? Yeah. And then his, and then uh, the, the other kind of, in, in a way he's also, you know, and I'm just pulling, I'm, I'm not trying to say that I'm Arthur Conan Doyle or anything like that, but I'm, so I'm just pulling characters. But in a way it's, he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes where in his off time, he's uh, just this nondescript guy. But then when he gets to be like a dog on a bone, when, when he gets an idea, he just becomes incest with it. And, and he's just, I can't think of anything else. And he just becomes focused. And you talked about uh, romance a little bit. And mm -hmm. um, I, I don't write romance because I, I treat my character romantically the same way I treat his life, which is he's married, but is but but he's this guy that when he's not, you know, like Sherlock Holmes, when he's not on a case, he's really quite boring but when he's on a case he's so locked in that that there's no space for his wife so his wife is just like hanging on like kind of like buddy you're an idiot but i am married to you and you know and, and we've been together for 20 years and i'm not going to leave you but you're kind of an idiot you know and and you're just like you're just like 
incensed, just absolutely driven to find answers. And I feel like that is a very realistic married couple. Thing, yeah, it's, so. it's exactly right. It's not, I'm not, it's not too much unlike my wife and myself, actually. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, and I like that kind of, um, like you said, kind of putting uh, uh, that sort of level of realism into, into the writing. Yes, that I love that because I, I that automatically made me think of my husband. <laughs> he's like because he's very I I work from the home more now and he's he still works out of the house but like that dynamic that's totally is like yep that's yeah so and it, it's funny because we had this is probably like the most mundane conversation a couple can have but like he forgot to take the garbage down last night thankfully the trash hasn't ran yet this morning i took it down it's just like you had one job dude <laughs> like you forgot yeah, to take yeah, the trash yeah. so he's like i'm sorry it was like you even got home early like come on yep exactly <laughs> so let's talk about what alex goes through in your story let's talk about like tell me what is the main thing going on in his story in this book yeah, he he um like I said, he's he's just this, you know, so to speak, mild-mannered academic professor, a scientist. He um goes to work one morning, he's he's um shuffling through the internet, you know, reading reading pieces here and there, um, just you know, almost randomly, kind of like what we all do, you know, where you're he's he's surfing the net, right? He's surfing. And he finds a, a, a little news article out of Stockton, California. He's in Iowa at Iowa State University. Uh, he finds a little article out of Stockton, California that talks about a man who, a middle-aged man who um, drives his car into a crowd at a football game and, and kills a number of people and just this horrendous crime. And... He, and, and he reads it, and it's just a little blurb. It's just a little news press release. Mm -hmm. He reads it, and he can't get it out of his mind. He, he Days go by, and he can't get it out of his mind. So he, he's going to Portland, Oregon for a conference. And he thinks, you know, much to the dismay of his wife, because she's like, what the heck are you doing? You know, But he decides, okay, when I'm in Portland, I'm going to take a side trip, and I'm going to go down to Stockton and just kind of, I, I for one thing, I need to see this this man who killed these people then subsequently dies himself. So he thought, I need to see the body. I need to see the body of this man. I, I, I just, I have to, I'm, I'm, I, he's obsessed. And he's like, I have to see this guy. Well, he's been cremated. He's gone. He can't see him. And he's in Stockton, California. He's standing there and he's thinking, okay, I have three days here. And the primary reason I came to see this guy, I can't. What am I going to do? And, and he's still thinking about this crime. So he starts, and he's not, he's not an investigator. He's not a policeman. He's not a private detective. He's a scientist. And, and he's thinking, okay, what do I do? So then it kind of goes on from there. And it winds up where um, the, this man, um, kind of fast forwarding, it winds up where this man was infected with a protein Mm -hmm. uh, this protein actually exists in the real world. This is real. Um, these proteins are called prions. And prions are the underlying cause of 
diseases such as mad cow disease. Mm -hmm. Mad cow disease was a really big thing in the UK about 20 years ago. And what mad cow disease does is it forms plaques. It forms aggregates of protein. So little, you know, um, groups of protein in the brain and it alters brain function. Well, this specific, now, now here comes the fiction part. The specific prion that this uh, this guy was um, exposed to uh, forms uh, only forms these plaques in males because it's affiliated with testosterone, the male hormone, and it forms them in the amygdala, which is the emotion control center. So males who get exposed become violent. They they lose emotional control. They become violent. They rage. Yeah. So, and that's what happened to uh, the guy who, had, uh, who who was involved in the act. Who was involved in the murder? Um, unfortunately, it can jump. This prion can jump from one species to another. So it doesn't just stay in in humans. It can jump to barnyard animals and and anything else. And in a similar way, it causes aggression in the males, not the females, but in the males of these other species. Now, again, parts of this are actually true, where prions in real life can jump from species to species. That's true. Mm-hmm. Although the, the aggression part is is science fiction. But, um, and then ultimately Alex winds up being infected himself. And then the race is on, right? He has to find effectively, uh, you know, quote unquote, cure yeah. Before he goes mad and kills his wife, right? And starts killing people. And so it's kind of the races on of can he can he go through the uh uh the, the route of discovery and come to a cure before um he falls prey to the same thing that um that that he has been following. Wow. That's kind of the story. That is intense. And yeah. it kind of gives me the I am legend vibes in a way. Yeah. yeah so right. that's wow. And the fact that you've got so many like realistic things pulled into it, that also kind of totally, I could actually see that happening. Like I am legend in real life kind of stuff. So, so, and, and, you know, one thing I wanted to do Maddie in the book was um, cause I struggled with, you know, it's, it's, it's a science fiction book, mm-hmm. but at the same time, and it's like, and, and again, I'm not trying to, equate myself to Michael Crichton, but it's kind of the same thing as Jurassic Park, where Jurassic Park is, uh, you're going to take the genetics of dinosaurs and recreate dinosaurs. Some of that's real, right? Yeah. I mean, they can take the genetic material out of mammoths. Mammoths have been extinct for 10,000 years. Yeah. They are now reconstituting mammoth um, animals from that DNA. And they're actually working on that. That part is actually true. So I, I don't know how, how well you remember the initial Jurassic Park because there's been so I, many variants. I do, because it actually gave me nightmares as a child. I would yeah. run from one side of the house to the other, avoiding windows and stuff, because I, my, my brain was like, a dinosaur is going to bust through and eat me. Yeah, no, <laughs> so. no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, so in Jurassic Park, right, at the very beginning, they have that part where they have that little ride that they go on and they have Mr. DNA come out and talk about how they get the, the blood out of the mosquito and amber and all that. 
some of that's actually real information, right? Certainly yeah. DNA, that's totally real. So I, I, so it was interesting how Michael Creighton, when he wrote Jurassic Park, put that little film strip effectively into the book so that he could inform the reader about the real science in the middle of a science fiction story. So I thought, well, how the heck am I going to do that in my story? Because, you know, just like in Jurassic Park, prions are real. Many things about them that happen in the book really can happen. For example, if a cow has mad cow disease, and, and I'm not making this up, and the cow sneezes on his pasture, mm -hmm. A year later, if another cow eats the grass that that cow has sneezed on, it will get mad cow disease. Yeah. It can last that long in the environment. So things like that are just, you know, you think that can't possibly be real, but it, but it is. So, yeah. and I'm really fascinated with that, that gap between, which is actually very small, right? But that gap between science fiction and bizarre science, right? Yeah. Where does that fit? So in the book, the way that I approached how to kind of like give people scientific information, but not overload them so that the book just gets bogged down into, like I was telling you earlier, into look at this and look at this and look at this, you know? And, yeah. And just, the whole so I have, I, I have Alex Pendergraf writing a, writing a book himself Ooh. for middle schoolers, for seventh graders. Yeah. And in there, there's a chapter, and this is the only chapter that actually makes it into my book. And it's not even the full chapter. There's little excerpts. He's he's writing a chapter on prions. So that little page or two is actually real information on prions at the level that a seventh, eighth grader can understand, right? So, yeah. um, and I thought that was a nice way to get across the fact that this is actually real. Mm -hmm. But not, but again, not bog down a science fiction story and just a bunch of, of informational facts that most people, um, including me, if I wasn't, you know, if it was, if I wasn't writing the book, including myself, wouldn't really find all that interesting, right? Yeah. So, um, that's what I tried to do. I like how you tied that in because it, it educates them about that while letting them still get lost in the story. Yeah. And that's, that's, I feel like part of the end goal with writing is yeah. you get a point across that way. And it's the, it's the little story inside the story, you know, yeah. it's pretty cool. Do you think you'll publish the the book that Alex is writing separate and be like, hey, this is tied to this, if you're interested? That's actually, I, I you know, truthfully, I hadn't thought about that, but that, that would really be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, it really would. That would be, because then everybody could get it as like a Parker book and be like, this is what yeah. is going on here. And yeah, they exactly. Can, I totally could see like fans going a little crazy with that. So it would be a lot of fun. In a way though, Maddie, you know, it's kind of funny that you should say that because now that I think about it a little more, in a way, Modern Poisons is that. Yeah. Because, so in a way I sort of did it backwards because what I was doing in Modern Poisons was trying to take complicated material relative to chemicals in the environment and how chemicals, um, can, can lead to adverse impacts in the environment and write it in a way that the, um, the non-scientist can understand. So in a way, the book sort of, sort of already exists. That's awesome. 
And it's funny how your brain just was like, yeah, we're going to do this and this. That's yeah. just, that's perfect. And so you know, the, the funny thing about that is in, in Modern Poisons, my nonfiction yeah. book, um, I, I was getting towards the end of the book and I got really interested in this uh, idea. And COVID is a perfect example of this, right? Yeah. Where the COVID virus, if you take the shell off, the, you know, the shell with all the spikes on it, you take the shell off, inside there's just a piece of RNA. That's it. There's just okay. some genetic material. That's all it is. There's no moving parts. There's no muscle. There's no skin. There's no, there's no protoplasm. There's nothing. It's just a chunk of, it's just a chemical. Yeah. So if you think about the COVID virus itself, the genetic material as a chemical, it's this huge, chem gigantic chemical. And if you compare it to uh, uh, chemistry chemicals, they're little tiny things, right? They're just a few yeah. a few atoms. They're really small. So you could kind of make a um, a, a linear. You could kind of make a, a line and say, okay, on one end we have the hydrogen atom, which is just a single atom, really, really tiny, and on the other end you have the genetic material, which is this massive molecule. At some point in there, along that scale, at some point in there, chemistry turns into biology. Yeah. And where does that happen? And I got really interested in my nonfiction book in that question. And I, and honestly, this is the truth. I thought to myself at that point, wow, this would make a great science fiction story. And and that's where Twist came out of. It, it came out of that that those origins. That is awesome. So I'm I'm curious. So with the part, the whole chemicals and stuff and everything that's going on in Alex's story, what would you say the symptoms are with that? And I'm this is coming from me who have any healthcare background. I so I'm kind of curious. Like, did you go into that much depth with the characters besides just the rage and stuff? Are there other things it going is, on? It is all. Um... Uh, it, it all manifests itself psychologically. Okay. So all altered neural function, altered brain function, and it manifests itself in um, in aggression. Okay. So so uh, once um, Alex gets bitten by a barnyard animal that happens to have the prion, he himself gets the prion, and he can start to see himself getting aggressive thoughts and getting violent thoughts towards his wife, violent thoughts and, and lose kind of losing his mind a little bit. And he's like, um, this is, yeah, this is not good. Right. I mean, I have to, I have to, uh, figure this out soon. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where the, the, the race begins. Man. And you mentioned in the little document I gave you beforehand that, that the barnyard incident was one of your favorite scenes to write. Let's talk about what happens there. Like, how does he, what, what puts him at that barnyard? Well, yeah. And, you know, it's really funny because uh, one of the other questions that you asked me, um, which uh, kind of feeds directly into this conversation is what is my writing style? And am I either a pantser? Do I write off the seat of my pants? Uh, and just kind of write what comes into my brain? Or am I a plotter? Do I sit down and diagram out the entire story? And as I mentioned in my answer to you, for the nonfiction work, 
I have to be a plotter. Yeah. I, I have to be because it's it's too complicated, and I I want to be fair to the science mm -hmm. in my um, nonfiction work. So so I have to be a plotter. But in my fiction work, I am totally a pantser, one hundred percent. And what will happen is, um, and this is getting to the scene. Yeah. What will happen is that um, I will be. Um, doing something completely different, walking down the street, walking my dog, doing whatever, be, sitting on an airplane, you know, flying somewhere. And a scene will just pop in my head. And the scene will pop in kind of like a scene out of a movie where it'll be like, let's say a one minute scene out of a movie. And I just ha I have to think to myself at that point, oh, write that down, right? Like watch the movie and write that down. So, so that's where this, that's where Boris, who happens to be a pig, mm -hmm. um, he's a, he's a pig of a, a certain um, strain, and I forget the strain. I think it's Cheshire. Um, yeah. Where there are these massive pigs, they're five hundred pounds. They're the largest pigs in the world. They're gigantic animals, and um, he's a he's actually a barnyard celebrity at this petting zoo where he is. And um, everybody, you know, and he's very, even though he's a pig, he's very, he's kind of like Babe, you know, from, from that movie yeah. from a number of years ago. He's very charismatic and he has interesting behaviors and he's kind of fun and he'll let kids pet him and, and he's very docile, even yeah. though he's male. Um, and he, he lives at this farm and Alex winds up at, during his time in Stockton as he's kind of stumbling around trying to find some kind of clue to what's going on he winds up at the farm and he through a series of events not accidentally but you know he follows one lead after another after another and he winds up at the farm and while he's at the farm the the person that he's interviewing there trying to you know get some facts um says do you want to take a walk around the farm so he walks around the farm and he sees boris this pig and um, you know he pets him and like, hey, you're you're a cool looking pig, you know. And then he goes away and he doesn't think about it again. He go he goes home. He goes back to Iowa, and he had told the 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 people at the farm what he was doing and what he was trying to find out, and, yeah. and he's stumbling around, and and they're all looking at him like, buddy, are you crazy? Like, what are you talking about, prions? And like, get get you know, like this is ridiculous. Well, about a month later, they get a he gets a call. And they said, uh, you got to come to the farm and you got to come now because um, Boris just beat the heck, the stuffing out of one of the trainers. And, you know, he's a big pig and yeah. he just grabbed somebody and threw him around his pen. And he's never done anything like this before. So you got to come and get some samples from him and see if he's got this prion and, and, so he goes back and, and that's exactly what he's doing. And he's there with a vet and a vet tech and they're trying to get um, samples out of Boris and they think they have him sedated and they think everything's fine, but it's not. And um, Boris gets angry and um, Boris starts chewing on people. So, um, and, and it was one of those, one of those, <laughs> it was one of those scenes that I saw just like walking my dog and I could see this scene of, of you know the the vet and the vet tech and and Alex walking in taking samples Boris not liking it Boris getting mad 
throwing the guy, throwing the vet tech to the floor, chasing Alex around, chasing Alex to the car. Boris grabbing the car and shaking, kind of like Jurassic. Oh my gosh! Yes. And forth, and and um, yeah, and it just kind of go, it just kind of goes on from there. And it, it was a great scene because it just kind of came to me um, out in you know walking my dog one day, and I wrote it, and then I thought, okay, I have this scene. There's another scene later on, also at the same farm, where a guy who a man who's infected with the prions, not Alex, but another guy. There's a case of mistaken identity and he winds up putting a pitchfork through someone's leg and impaling him to the wood of the barn floor. Um, There's another scene that came to me that I just thought, wow, that's a really, it's just a very, I I don't mean to sound uh, overly uh, gruesome or or anything, but it just was like, wow, that's a nice scene, you know, that's, yeah, that's no, yeah, cool, you know, so that's another scene, and, and I, so I had these scenes, and then I, I had to think, how do I stitch these into the plot, you know, so I have, like, I, it, it's like I, I wrote page 100 to 101, but I'm still on page 30, so how am I going to get, like, how am I going to pull Boris yeah. in, how do I pull this thing with the barnyard and the pitchfork, and yeah, so, so, so my style relative to, uh, to writing, to writing is totally pantser and totally, um, like I said, I, I, I see these interesting scenes and then I just write about them. And I, I'm already writing um, the sequel to Twist, which, uh, which doesn't have a title yet. And, and, and I already, same thing. I already have three or four scenes that I've written, which are, are just really, really nice. And now I just have to figure out how to wind them into the overall yes. story. I always find it harder to tie scenes together because I've done that on different occasions for different stories. And then it's just like, you just sit there and you're like, okay, this is an awesome scene. And this is an awesome scene. But how do I connect the two? Yep. It's exactly right. I always, that's literally like one of my struggles with writing is tying them together like that. Do you have, is that your biggest struggle? Do you think, or is something else your biggest struggle with writing? Gosh, I have so many struggles with writing that it's hard <laughs> to pick out just one. But um, I think you're right. You know, uh, because I'm a because I'm, I come from an academic scientific background, as I was said earlier on in our conversation, I want to tell people in I want to tell people facts. Yeah. Like, let me tell you about this, and let me tell you about this, and let me tell you about the color of the barn, and let me tell you about you know the the farm implements in the barn and let me tell you about the color of the hay and let me and it's like and I have to tell myself stop just stop stick to the <laughs> point of the story you know like no one cares about the color of the barn you know no one cares about Alex's shirt you know like that's not important right now so um you're right I mean kind of maintaining the thread and tr- trying to keep both the storyline and the tension going mm-hmm. is 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 hard, but it's also really really fun. Yeah, because it's kind of you get to explore like how like different ways that they connect. It yeah. So, um, so something I like to ask every creative I talk to on here is, what do you do for self care? And this is just like in your daily life. Do you do something specific? Do you have a routine? What helps you keep your sanity and focus on what's important in life? You know, it's it's kind of funny. That, that's a that's a great question. And 
I don't remember in what I wrote you how I answered it, but, um, and, and I, do, I do remember a couple of things and I'll get to that, but it's kind of funny because my writing is my self-care, you know, because I'm not a professional writer, meaning that, you know, I put bread on the table and car insurance through my um, story writing. Yeah. Uh, I'm an academic scientist. So, and, and academic science has its own stress. So I use Alex Pendergraph and his world as a stress relief from my world, right? So, yeah. so on one on one level, there's there's that, but at the same time, um, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, there, you also have to have other venues, and I do a lot of stuff outside. I do uh, you know hiking and um, kayaking and backpacking and that kind of stuff. And I also um, I also did wood woodworking. So I have a shop and. It's really nice because I can go into my shop and be doing woodworking. So I'm I'm working with with wood, right? I'm, I'm uh, manipulating wood. So I'm thinking one part of my brain is, you know, making measurements and using saws and sanding and doing stuff like that. Whereas the other part of my brain is thinking about Alex Pendergraph and what's going to, the, the terrible things that's going to happen to him and how he's going to either overcome it or fall prey to it. So kind of happens at the same time that's that's always good because that that kind of leads into the next question have you ever had a crazy scene come to you while doing something like that for self-care because I know you mentioned walking the dog you had the barnyard scene come to you have you had any other scenes come to you like that oh yeah, oh, yeah. The, the the I was telling you before the pitchfork scene and mm -hmm. to me it, it was really really funny um this was a number of years ago because it was pre pre-twist because this person that I met is actually in twist twist, but I got on a, I got, <laughs> I got on a plane. This was probably five, six years ago. I got, I got on a plane and I'm sitting there on the seat next to me. It's a small plane. So it has four seats across so yeah. I'm in the window and the aisles open and they're just about to close the plane. And this young woman, um, I'm six, I'm in my 60s. So young, she could have been 30 years old, 35, whatever, or she could have been 18. It was kind of hard to tell. But um, this young woman runs down the aisle and she's all kind of like disheveled and and a mess, you know. Like I I mean, she's just like she's got bags all over and she's running and she's sweating. And you know, she very clearly was running for the plane. She has tattoos all over her body, which is I'm not making a judgment. I'm just stating a fact. She just has yeah. tattoos all over the place. She sits down next to me and she says, uh, the first thing she says, we haven't even left the tarmac yet. We haven't even pulled back from the, from the gate. First thing she says is, when's the drink tray come, the drink <laughs> part come, right? <laughs> and, and she proceeds to tell me stories for an hour. The, the the entire flight and she's telling me about her life and she had a she has a very interesting life yeah and she's telling me about it and um i'm sitting there thinking at first i'm sitting there talking to her and i'm like wow that's really interesting that's really interesting and then after about 45 minutes i thought is this real or is she just like, <laughs> weaving the web just for fun you know like because this yeah. is pretty pretty out there you know and um, and I'm not going to tell you too much about the story because it, it and this is my whole point. The story was so captivating that I took 
the essence of it. Not, you know, obviously not literal, literally. I didn't yeah. want to, you know, but, but I took the essence of the story and put it in twist where um, the um, uh, uh, Jimmy Perez, who is the, uh, a, another person that winds up in Stockton, California, that winds up infected with the prion, he becomes a central character because he's the one that Alex is kind of chasing because uh, Alex and he are the only people that he knows that are infected by, with the prion. So he has to meet this guy and say like, you know, what's going on and, and you know, talk to him and see if he can help figure out the puzzle. Um, well, Jimmy's mentally gone, right? Because this prion has overtaken his emotional capacity. So he's super violent. And um, he goes into a diner and he's sitting in a diner by himself. And, you know, he's sitting there having really aggressive, violent thoughts. And um, this woman, just like the woman on the plane, tattoos, you know, um, short skirt, uh, uh, strapless uh, top, you know, comes running in, sit and doesn't know him at all, sits down with him and just is like, hey, how you doing? You know, and just starts. And he's like, who is this person? <laughs> so he has a very similar experience with her that I did with um, with this woman on the plane. I never wanted to kill the woman on the plane, all right? But he's sitting there and part of his mind's thinking, this woman is bizarre. And then the other part of his mind is like, I could take the ashtray and bash her head in right now, you know, you know, because he's infected with yeah. so so he's kind of struggling with do I kill her? Do I let her, you know, and so so it's and that all came from that, that all came from that airplane experience. Yeah. 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 But that is a good like thing to put into a story. I was thinking when you were telling me about her that that would be great to use for stories. Like people like that are the ones you can always draw inspiration from and just plug stuff in from that wherever, however, and it's it's fun. So. And we we've all I think we've all had that experience of mm -hmm. you're you're going about your daily life and you run into someone and it's just like who are you? How do you live like that? Like yes. what what is this? You know and so it was it it was really fun to write and and again it kind of gets to I've only written one fiction book thus far I'm in, I'm working on my second now but I I really like those kind of characters yeah you know? like you were saying before in your writing as well like I don't want to write about Cary Grant or write about you know um, Brad Pitt or those type of people the attractive everybody likes them very successful yada I mean as characters not as not I'm not talking about Brad Pitt as a person I'm yeah talking about yeah book. you're talking about book characters but um, yeah I don't want to write about those kind of people I want to write about the people that are just like what like who <laughs> are you and, and seriously like is that real you know and and those kind of people that it's not so fictionalized that no, no human beings aren't like that. But but those people that we've all met that you just think, how do you function on a day to day life? Like, how do you feed yourself? You, you know, yeah. I, I, I just really I just really like that. I, I think that's that's interesting. Yes, it is. And so you mentioned you're working on a sequel to the book. Do you have a timeline kind of like that you're sticking to with getting it out? Or do you just kind of when it's there, it's there? It's actually, um, I was, I was, I, I actually went back 
um, a few weeks ago and I watched a video of um, Kurt Vonnegut mm -hmm. um, giving a talk about writing. And one of the things that he said in that video was, um, you know, um, write one book at a time. You don't need to be writing like four books because you're never going to finish any of them. And the reason I, I'm, I'm mentioning that is um, I'm currently writing an, another nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. So this too will, will have to wait until my nonfiction book is done and then I can get back to twist two. But like I said, I, I, I'll be walking the dog and I'll have a scene and I'll think, Oh man, I have to write that down. That is just, yeah. that is just too good. There's a scene in, in twist two that's coming that um, about a bear uh, because it, it actually has a lot to do with bears because there's another disease that's real Ooh. that bears can get that it's the disease, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this or not, but there, there is cra the crazy cat woman disease, the disease that women that have, you know, generally older women that have a whole bunch of cats, they can get a disease that mm -hmm. um, uh, from, from the, basically from the cat poo, they, they can get a disease yeah, that yeah. alters their mental functioning. Mm -hmm. That disease, if a mouse gets exposed to it, um, because the way that the cat gets it is the disease is in the mouse, the cat eats the mouse, and then the cat gets the disease, and then yeah. the cat poops in the tea uh, litter, and then the yeah. woman can pick up the disease there. Well, what that does to the mouse is it completely um, negates their fear center. So they're no longer afraid of anything. Oh. So these mice, and this, and this is true, this is absolutely true. These mice will walk right up to a cat, like, hey, what's going on? You know, and they'll just walk right. They don't, they don't fear them at all. So the cat's like free dinner. So the cat kills them and eats them. Well, um, that can happen in bears. It, and that's this is true. That can happen in bears. And then the bears also are like, I'm not afraid of humans anymore. So I'll just walk right up to you. And then if you tick me off, I'll swat you one, you know? And so so, so there's a there's a couple of really fun scenes with these bears in my second book, that um, that I've already written, and now, like you were saying before, I'm trying to stitch the story together. Yeah, so, that's going to be an interesting read because yeah. bears can be kind of scary. They get vicious. So. Oh yeah, they absolutely do, particularly when they have these uh, microbes in their brains. Then they get really vicious. Yeah, that's going to be man. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show with me today and chatting with me. Go ahead and tell our listeners and viewers where they can find you and your work. Yeah, you can find uh, my work on Amazon, um, both Modern Poisons and um, and Twist. I also have a website, uh, www.alanskolok, A-L-A-N-S-K-O-L-O-K.com. Um, and... Um, if you do go to my website, leave me a note. Uh, drop me a little note. Say hello. I'd love to hear from you. Sweet. And viewers, listeners, make sure you like and subscribe. Check out his work and follow us both on social media. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.